it is time for the dog and duck show we are so excited to get back into football especially this week we're talking about college football and this week we are doing two podcasts this first one is going to be the dog and duck football preview special mark are you as jacked about college football as i am i i think i am warren i am so excited i i there is no sport that i get this excited about when the beginning of the season rolls around i mean i just want to fast forward to saturday uh i love it i love everything about it my 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 enthusiasm is only dampened somewhat by the fact that the ducks opener is on the pac-12 network which i don't have access to but uh i'm still excited i don't care you know like i'm 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 excited for all the reasons that you are and more so um yeah let's get to it well maybe we need to start a gofundme page to uh to get you and i access to the pac-12 network <laughs> channel so we'll uh we'll have to put that out there but mark this is like uh, a, a uniquely awesome time for Pac-12, specifically, specifically the the Northwest college football fans, because I can't remember a time in which both Oregon fans and Washington fans were as high on their team and maybe had as high a hopes for a season as both our teams do now and we're going to get into that we're going to break down uh some of the questions that we have going into this season we're gonna we're gonna do a a, a run through of uh, a game by game schedule and, and where we see uh our teams winning and maybe where there might be some losses along the way and uh but but i think you and i both would agree that you know at least in my short-term memory i cannot remember a time where as a Husky fan, I felt like my confidence in in Husky football was at the same level as the Oregon Ducks confidence in in their football team. And I think that just makes this season all the more remarkable coming off of the way that 2020 ended. Um, I don't think the Ducks nor the dogs really had a good taste in their mouth with the way that uh, the COVID season ended, of course. The dogs, you know, they had their season kind of stripped from them because of COVID. The Ducks did win the 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 Pac-12, but then you know ended kind of uh, burning out against Iowa State. So, Mark, are you ready to just like bust through a wall to to see this thing going? Ab absolutely, yeah. It does feel like we've had two years since like we've had a real football season. Like I know there was some semblance of a football season last year but it, it doesn't really um it doesn't feel legitimate like a like a football season so it feels like we've been waiting for two years for this and yeah i could not be more excited to see it get going well i don't think that our optimism for our respective teams is unwarranted i think that uh there's a lot of reason to think that that both of these teams have the potential to be very good this year um, but yeah, there's, there's some questions. There's always questions going into the season and, uh, we really won't know until probably we get two or three games into this season and see what this, these teams actually look like against, you know, competent competition. 
So Mark, let's just dive right in. We've got uh, five questions for the dogs and ducks uh, coming into this season. So we're gonna try to hit these as best we can. And um, uh, well, here's the first one. Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk uh, on Twitter these days about uh, the off-season natty. You know, it's kind of a joke that that uh, between the dogs and the ducks, there's a competition to win the off-season natty. Uh, but who would you say, Mark, uh, or maybe just give a rundown of how you feel Oregon did in terms of winning the off-season before we get into the real football that's going to get played on real football fields very shortly. Well, ah, boy, I, I hate that you're starting with this question, Warren, because I think the conclusion one has to come to is that, is that Oregon won the off season. Oregon has, you know, outperformed Washington on the recruiting trail. And I think, um, you know, brought in a new defensive coordinator and Tim DeRuiter that is really, uh, highly regarded uh, as a coordinator hire. And, um, you know, they've got Kayvon Thibodeau is coming in as a preseason All-American and a preseason de defensive player of the year in the Pac-12. And so there, there is kind of all of this off-season hype that has been generated around the Oregon team. But I feel like with you starting with this question, you're kind of putting me in a tough spot because I don't necessarily want to be riding the team that won the off season <laughs> national championship. You know, I think in, in many ways um, looking at, at the way Oregon kind of underperformed in the latter half of, of last season, like the last thing I want is for this team to be kind of reading their own press clippings, if you will. So, um, so I think you would have to say that, that Oregon had the better off season but that Washington coming in a little under the radar will probably serve them well early on, I would think. Is, am I reading yeah. that right? You know, I mean, I, I definitely think you're right that the chip on the Huskies' shoulder is going to be much bigger because of the way that most of the rankings have come out with Oregon at the top. Of course, we talked about uh, at the Pac-12 Media Day, Oregon was, was decisively uh, predicted to be the winner of the Pac-12 and the Pac-12 North, of course. And yeah, there's no, there's no doubt about it uh, that when it comes to recruiting, Oregon has run laps around UW over the last uh, year and a half. And that has definitely been a great cause of concern for Washington fans. Uh, so, you know, if you put if you put a heavy weight on recruiting, which I think is fair, uh, then Oregon definitely won won the offseason. Now, you know, we've talked about this a little bit before, and you know, there's probably different opinions about this, but with the transfer portal, it feels like that's a new uh, factor in what happens to teams every year moving forward. The Ducks, I believe they lost about a dozen guys to the transfer portal. And to my knowledge, didn't receive any new guys. Did maybe they didn't even pursue any guys to the through the portal. The Huskies, however, uh, they were kind of a mixed bag. They've lost a few. They lost a handful of guys. A few guys that are actually starting at other Pac-12 teams this fall, but they did bring in a few key guys, namely uh, you know Bookie Radley Hiles, who actually will be the most experienced 
player on our team coming into the fall. He was a three-year starter at the University of Oklahoma. Jalen Polk uh, was named a starter for this season's opener uh, who came from Texas Tech, ironically, where uh, Tyler Shuck ended up going. Um, and so it feels like if there was a winner in the transfer portal, uh, the Huskies won that. They got some some guys that are going to be, I think, solid starters and, and, and big time playmakers for this team. And then I don't know, probably both teams have good feelings about the spring and the fall camps. I know that, um, you know, you mentioned Tim DeRuiter coming in. Uh, Bob Gregory is stepping into Pete Kwiatkowski's role as the defensive coordinator. And I think it's been great that he's had the spring and the fall to be able to install whatever new wrinkles he wants to into that uh, defense. And we'll talk about where I think that defense is going uh, later on in, in the pod. Uh, but then for us, you know, John Donovan, who was the offensive coordinator that came uh, during the COVID, uh, COVID offseason and uh, really didn't have a chance to fully implement his, his uh, you know, offensive game plan. So it'll be interesting to see how much the fall and the spring camps really contribute to a, a different looking University of Washington offense. And then key injuries, obviously uh, a brutal loss for the Huskies was, was losing uh, defensive stalwart ZTF who uh, burst onto the scene, won three Pac-12 defensive player uh, of the week, uh, you know, weeks in a row. Uh, there is good news coming out of the Husky camp that he may be back by midseason, and uh, that's that's a great thing. But certainly that was a devastating loss. In fact, according to John Wilner, uh, losing ZTF was what caused him to rank um, Oregon ahead of UW in his own personal rankings. So uh, how about uh, any thoughts about fall camp, key injuries, depth chart outcomes, anything like that that, that uh, either excites you or causes a little concern for you? Yeah, I think uh, the thing that... Um... I mean, the biggest depth chart story for the Ducks coming out of fall camp is Anthony Brown being named the the starting quarterback. Um, here's a guy that is, I think he's technically a sixth year senior, started his career in, in Boston College, was a starter there for much of three seasons and transferred to Oregon, spent most of last season backing up Tyler Shuck, kind of took the job from him in their final game. And then... Um, and then Shuck obviously transferred and then Brown had to hold off these three freshmen uh, who were challenging him for the job, a true freshman and, and a couple of redshirt freshmen. And, and I think everybody was kind of surprised that he held off these highly touted uh, freshmen who've got four stars and five stars next to their names coming out of high school. Uh, but that that's the biggest storyline from a depth chart wise is that is that this senior starter was able to um, to take the starting job, but I think the the one the depth chart outcome that I was most intrigued by is uh, true freshman wide receiver Troy Franklin will be getting the start this week against Fresno State, and the receiving core is just a loaded area for the Ducks. They had returning guys like Johnny Johnson and Jalen Red who have been there for what seems like forever now. They've got. Micah Pittman, who's battled some injuries, but is like a superstar in the making, some think. 
Um, their leading receiver last year was a guy named Devin Williams. So that's like four different guys that I think Oregon fans felt like are going to be real, real threats at receiver. And here is Troy Franklin, who has emerged and has earned a starting spot in fall camp. And that's just kind of the story that you love as a fan to see this guy come on the scene and earn his way onto the job because you know it wasn't a case of he's starting because they just don't have somebody good. It's that he actually has earned playing time above some really talented guys. And so um, you, you just love to see kind of that kind of a story coming out of fall camp. Certainly if you're an Oregon Duck fan, uh, I know if you're a Husky fan, there's a little bit of a, a wince uh, as you hear the name Troy Franklin because for at least a season, most Husky recruiting uh, you know, followers were convinced that Troy Franklin was going to be a dog. And uh, even after he committed, there were, there were rumors that were falsely put out that, that Franklin was gonna flip and become a dog. So to, to see him performing so well, coming in as a true freshman, uh, that, that hurts all the more. And you know goes back to that idea that at least in the recruiting realm, there's no doubt about it. The Ducks won the off season and uh, continue to, to pick up speed with their, their recruiting prowess. All right, so here we go. Question number two, Mark, who are three players that you're most excited to see this fall? Now, let me qualify this. It doesn't mean that they, you've never seen them play before. Yeah. Uh, they, maybe they played last year, but maybe you anticipate a big step forward uh, in their game this year, or maybe they're gonna be used differently. But who are the who are the three guys if you could highlight from your team, offense, defense, special teams, either one, that you're really excited to see what they do out on the field this year? So do we do we want to do this a little back and forth here? I mean, I I give you a duck, you give a husky, like uh, you just you know do, sure. we, do we do that, or you want me to? Sure, just yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a college tennis player, former college tennis player, so we can rally a little bit. Let's okay, do a little rally. So um, I'll let you have first serve. Yeah, my first my first choice for a guy that I'm I'm really looking forward to watching um, is kind of a co-starter at the running back position, and that's Travis Dye. He'll obviously be sharing a lot of snaps with C.J. Verdell, but Travis Dye uh, last year averaged about seven yards a carry out of the backfield and over 26 yards per catch as a receiver. He is so so dynamic they love to get him the ball in all kinds of of creative ways and i'm just looking forward after an entire off season for for joe moorhead to kind of think up schemes and plays uh, i'm just really looking forward to a full season of of travis die uh getting the chance to make explosive plays i think he's going to be absolutely dynamite who who yeah. would you take with your first uh choice for the huskies so this is, you know, not going to be a shocker by any means, but I am really looking forward to seeing what the 2021 version of Dylan Morris looks like. Uh, of course, Dylan Morris was not named the starter until just minutes before the opening game of the season against Oregon State. It was a bit of a slog fest. They were, they were playing at night in the rain. Uh, to an empty stadium 
And, uh, you know, the, the, the Husky wide receivers did not do him any favors. They dropped a lot of balls that opening night. Uh, there was a special teams gaffe that ended up costing the, the Huskies and putting them behind early. And uh, it seemed like John Donovan made the decision to just lock it down and try to just tough it out with uh, a very, very conservative game plan uh, against, you know, the a, a, a plucky Oregon State Beaver team that really was pretty dangerous at times last year. And then um, against Arizona, he was able to, to, to air it out a little bit, had a really nice game. And then probably the most memorable game in his young career was against Utah, where uh, really started off poorly through uh, two interceptions in the first half, got down uh, you know, by a big first half lead, but then courageously brought the team back and you know, won with a last uh, minute touchdown pass to his, his buddy and uh, safety, uh, you know, safety blanket, Kate Otten. And I think that endeared him to a lot of Husky fans even though at the end of the season, the statistics weren't entirely impressive. Um, I think that a lot of people who were maybe unsure became believers in Dylan Morris. And I think what's been exciting for me and for a lot of Husky fans is to hear and to even see in person the progress that he's made over this offseason, having a full year to really absorb the playbook to be able to own the offense. He was named the starter at the very beginning of fall camp. And uh, I think there's a lot of confidence that he's gonna have a, a major leap going into this fall. Um, you know, we talked about this a little bit offline, Mark, but when you look at the, the, the progress between Jake Browning's first year and his second year, I mean, it was, Unbelievable. I mean, you know, and there, you could never expect that kind of production from anybody at yep. any, you know, any university. Jake Browning had one of the greatest offensive seasons as a quarterback in Pac-12 history uh, in 2016. But I think that there's a belief that Dylan Morris could make a very pronounced jump in his production in this upcoming year. And so for that reason, I'm really excited to see what he can do with this additional preparation uh, going into this season. Can we put some numbers on that, Warren? Because you are you are much higher on on Dylan Morris than I am on, um, you know, say Anthony Brown. Whereas I, I think Anthony Brown can be competent, can be good enough for Oregon to be really good. But I don't necessarily think Anthony Brown's ceiling is you know, um, as high as you think Dylan Morris is ceiling, where you said to me in a text thread, his, his ceiling is Jake Browning in 2016. Uh, but his floor is like Jake Browning in 2018 or something like that. We're like, you're, you're very high on Dylan Morris. So like, can we just put some numbers down that we're going to check in on as far as yardage touchdowns and things like that? Well, if you look at Jake Browning's four-year career, his his sophomore year 2016 was an anomaly i mean yeah. it was just excessively better than any other year that he had so i think you know when you look at that you say okay 
Dylan Morris is most likely not going to reach the heights that that uh, Jake Browning did from a statistical perspective. He's not going to score 70 points against Oregon this year. That's just not going to happen. Um, but I do think you know you so I'll give you the numbers. Okay. I think I think the floor for uh Dylan Morris this year is 2,500 yards passing and 20 touchdowns, which would be a pretty significant jump from what you know what he did last year, but not outrageous. Okay, I think that's the floor. I think the the ceiling is you know upwards of 3,300 yards passing and 30 or more touchdowns passing. Um, so if if he gets somewhere between that floor and that ceiling, I like our chances to win every single game that we play this year, assuming that we don't have one game that's just a total dud and, and doesn't really factor into the, the statistics. Now, I think you've tempered your expectations a little bit in the past couple of days, which I think is a good move, Warren. But I think no, I, no, no, no. I, I think I the floor you had is like three thousand yards was the floor the the last time we talked. I, I really no, I'd have to go back and look at our our text thread, but no, I think I mean uh, a twenty five hundred yard season in a twelve game, uh, you know, twelve game season, a twelve you know twelve games. What is that? That's about you know twenty. 220, 230 yards a game, something yeah. like that, yeah, no, um, no. which is about what he averaged in his four games uh, stint in 2020. So I think that's definitely the floor. I think, you know, there's no doubt he could exceed 3,000, 3,500 is within reach. Um, I Obviously, it's not going to be uh, a USC Keaton Slovis type of offense. You know, I mean, Jimmy Lake's the guy that wore the hat that said run the damn ball. Um, <laughs> but I do think that at least my personal philosophy on how the Huskies should approach this season is that they need to pass to set up the run. And I think they're going to have to, you know, unleash Dylan Morris early in games give him the opportunity to go downfield with the ball, open up uh, the defense so that they can do what they really want to do, which is run the ball with that powerful offensive line. All right. Well, I, I will be doing a Dylan Morris update throughout the season. <laughs> okay. gonna be, you know, uh, we're going to be checking in on his numbers. We're going to be comparing him to, uh, to Anthony Brown's numbers. And, and that's just, I think that's going to have to be a segment that we just, we return to every week for throughout the season. Yeah. A uh, Brown versus Morris. Yeah. yeah so, absolutely. I mean, do you, do you feel confident that Brown will be the starting quarterback by the time the Huskies and, and the Ducks play? I'm feeling more and more confident uh, the more that I'm reading about kind of the energy around him from his teammates, from his coaches. Okay. I mean, it really does seem like, he took the best shot of all of these highly touted guys who did not play poorly, who played well, and that he just held them off, which I think um, is a good sign. You know, like, I don't think he's, he's getting the job by default. I think, I think he had to earn it. Uh, I do think that there is some sense of, you know, their second game of the season is at Ohio state. And would you rather have like a sixth year senior who's made 25 starts? Yeah 
taking you into that game or a true freshman making his second start of his career. Like, I do think there's some sense of that probably helped in the decision-making. Um, but I don't know that if he has, you know, a less than stellar game against Ohio state, I don't know that, that he immediately turns around and loses the job just because of it. I, I think he's going to have a chance to, to keep it throughout the season. And so, so yeah, I think uh, assuming, assuming, they stay healthy. I I'm, I'm hopeful that it will be Brown versus Morris in that, in that game in early November. All right. I'm going to hit the, the ball back to you, Mark. Who's your second uh, player that you're most excited to see this, this season. So obviously the defensive player on the duck side that everybody uh, has kind of given their attention to is, is Kayvon Thibodeau. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm not, I'm not going to choose him just because I feel like that's the obvious choice, but I'm, I'm going to go with the guy that if, if you told me there's going to be a guy on this year's defense who will be the best player on the Oregon defense, and it's not going to be Thibodeau, then I would put my money on uh, freshman linebacker, second year freshman linebacker, uh, Noah Sewell. Mm. And so like tra similar to Travis Dye, a younger brother of a really great Oregon player, Travis Dye was the younger brother of, of Troy Dye, who was an incredible linebacker for the Ducks. Noah Sewell, the younger brother of, of Panay Sewell, who was, uh, you know, one of the best offensive linemen in the country. And, um, and Noah had his freshman year last year. So we saw little bits and pieces of him. He's technically a freshman still this year, but uh, his first real full season in a Duck uniform in the middle linebacker spot, he's got some really good linebackers around him. Um, that I think I think that unit is going to be a real strength for the Ducks. But I think, you know, I saw little flashes of him where he would make some plays that just kind of gave me that feeling of like, oh, this this kid is a special talent. And so I'm just I'm just really looking forward to seeing a full season of him in that middle linebacker spot. Yeah, and uh, you know, the reports that I've heard as I've followed uh, Oregon football is that a lot of people think he's going to be a monster uh, of, of a linebacker. And uh, yeah, you know, it's interesting. Oregon's recruited a couple of big time recruits at that position. Uh, but it's, it seems like Noah, is it Sewell? 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 Sewell. Sewell. S-E-W-E-L. Yep. You know, he seems like he's the guy that, that has that because linebacker is a position that it's more than just about physical attributes you've got to have an instinct. You've got to have an ability to read and react in the moment, more, it, yeah. in many ways, more than any other position out there. And some guys have it. It sounds like uh, he's one of those guys that does have it. Uh, yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, flip it back around. And uh, this is a guy that we've joked about a little bit um, uh, before, but he is a guy that I'm really looking forward to seeing out on the field. And it is one of our uh, recruits from the transfer portal, Giles Jackson, mm -hmm. who will be wearing the number zero. He'll be the first Washington Husky to sport a number zero jersey. And uh, he is a transfer from the University of Michigan. He is a, a speedster, a wide receiver, a kick uh, returner, and just an explosive talent. Uh, you know, I encourage any Husky fan if you want to get excited, watch uh, some of his highlights 
from his freshman season at the University of Michigan. And I think what's exciting about this guy, Mark, we talked about this before, is that um, he's not even listed as a starter at wide receiver. He's probably going to be coming off the bench, but he's one of those guys that, in my opinion, uh, when healthy, he's he's got the ability to 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 make a game-breaking play anytime he touches the ball. Um, that may be a, a reception. That might be you know moving him back into the running back position. It might be a, a fly sweep, uh, a kickoff return. But especially noting that uh, the University of Washington is going to be going on the road to play against his former team, uh, the Michigan Wolverines, in week two. Yeah. I can't help but think that this, this uh, offensive uh, squad has built in a couple of plays specifically for Giles Jackson that could be difference-making plays. Um, and I'm just I'm excited to see it. We haven't had a player quite like him um, since we've had, you know, the 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 Pettis and Ross years of guys that just when they when they got the ball, you just thought, okay, everybody holds your breath. This could be this could be a game changing moment. So really excited to see what he does. I don't anticipate that at the end of the year he's going to have a thousand yards receiving or. Uh, you know, 10 touchdowns, but I think there's a good chance that we're going to look back and we're going to what go, wow, that game or those two or three games uh, hinged on that, you know, one play that he made. Yeah. And you, you bring up, uh, you know, Ross and, and Pettis who certainly were that explosive, but didn't, didn't have kind of the same gadget feel, you know, they were a little more just kind of consistent contributors, whereas he's, he's, I mean, he kind of reminds me of of the way Oregon used DeAnthony Thomas mm-hmm. um, a few years ago, or or maybe Percy Harvin to have a Seahawks reference. You know, when he was at Florida, we're going to mention Percy Harvin, and yeah. obviously, you know, we're talking about big time, you know, at, like all time greats. I'm not. I don't know if he'll achieve those kind of heights. He is, you know, technically he's a third year redshirt freshman, or no, third year sophomore. So he's still got time to develop and grow in this program. But, yeah. but when you watch the highlights, you see that kind of explosiveness. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, but you're right that it's, he's the type of guy just watching some of those highlights that you sent me, I think, to torment me. But uh, watching some of those highlights is he strikes me as the type of guy that he might only touch the ball once during the game and it could be the most important play of the game. And, and that's the type of guy that if you're the defensive coordinator for the other team, you're kind of staying up nights thinking about because all it takes is kind of one lapse and, and he can make you pay. And so uh, I will be very fascinated to see how they use him against his former team in, in Ann Arbor for sure. Absolutely. All right, Mark, who's your, who's your, your third pick? All right, so my last choice here, I'm, I'm going to go kind of a different direction, and I'm, I'm going to take a pair of guys together, and there's a reason for this. So um, one storyline, uh, not a great storyline for Oregon this offseason, was the suspension of, of two starting defensive backs, DJ James and Jamal Hill. They were involved in, in a juvenile incident of sorts and, and were arrested and have been suspended, and, and they're not going to play in at least the first game of the season. And uh, but what that has created, anytime you have kind of an issue like that, Warren, it creates an opportunity for somebody else to come in and and take the position. And so 
there are two guys that are going to get the start this week against Fresno. One is uh, Bennett Williams at the star position, which is, uh, you know, kind of almost like a, a safety linebacker, but also kind of a nickelback. It's, it's kind of an interesting position. So Bennett Williams is going to get the start at one of those positions. And then the boundary corner position, it looks like it's going to be, I, I may mispronounce his name, but I believe it's Trequeasy Bridges, uh, hmm. who's a redshirt freshman, so has not seen the field yet for the Ducks. And those are two guys that I think uh, it has helped that there was this incident that has kind of given them the opportunity to uh, have more of a primary role in the starting lineup. But they were going to get the opportunity to play. They, it, you know, they were uh, earning reps themselves. But now it's really opened up for them to kind of, kind of put a stranglehold on that position. And and if you're, I think if you're the coach in this position, you would love those guys to just kind of earn the job outright in in this week where they're they're taking over, so that when you have guys coming back from suspension, you're not just handing them their jobs back, but they've kind of got to earn those reps back mm-hmm. in practice. And so I'm really, uh, you know, there are better players on the Oregon defense that I that I could name that that could be more exciting. But those are two guys that I'm just really rooting for that they can take make the most of their opportunity this week against Fresno State. And we'll talk about the the Fresno State matchup later on in the pod, but I think that they could be you know the the most important guys on the field in, in this matchup if for some reason it turns out to be a, a closer matchup than maybe the odds anticipate. All right. Well, my third guy is also a little bit um, of a dark horse candidate, and um, it's a defensive lineman, defensive tackle, Fa'atui Tuatele. And uh, I mentioned a little bit about Bob Gregory and him taking over the Husky defense. Uh, There's no doubt about it. You know, you, you, we talked a little bit about how things ended on a sour note. Not only did uh, the Huskies kind of have the season stolen from them, but they ended with a loss against Stanford and uh, Stanford did to the Huskies what they have done to them seemingly the last three or four years in a row where they just ran the ball down the throat of the Huskies. And I think it's, it's among Husky faithful, there's a little bit of a, a, a joke slash lament that almost in the same way that Jimmy Lake had Mike Leach's number as a defensive coordinator against that air raid. It seems like David Shaw has had uh, Jimmy Lake's number against that, uh, you know, kind of that softer defense that Jimmy Lake has run. And so I'm really hoping that what we're going to see as we've seen the pendulum swing over the last few years more teams that are really trying to make an emphasis on having a tough up the middle running game. One of the things that I hope that we'll see in this Husky defense is more alignments with three defensive tackles on the field um, and really saying, Hey, we're going to dare you to throw the ball. We're going to, we're going to lock down the box and we're not going to let you run up the middle anymore. And we're going to, we're going to trust our, you know, world-class defensive backs to, to, to do their job and to shut down the wide receivers out on an Island. 
And so when you look at the, the Husky starting lineup, um, the, the two defensive tackles who were, were really the stalwarts that, that owned that position last year were Tule Latula Gasanoa and Sam Taki Taimani. Those guys are projected again to be the starters this week. But I think Fatui Tuatele is the guy that's probably most likely to come in and be that third defensive tackle. And um, he's actually the highest rated defensive tackle that we have on our team. He came uh, from uh, St. Louis High School in Honolulu, Hawaii. Um, you know, he was a four-star prospect, um, number one player in the state, number nine defensive tackle in the nation when he came out in 2019. Uh, but almost as soon as he arrived here, it turned out that he had a pretty severe pectoral injury that basically um, he's been recovering from almost since the time he got here. So I think he's finally back to a place where he's re regained that, that upper body strength. And this is his year. If he's going to make an impact, I think this is the year for him to do that. So I'm really looking forward to seeing him on the field a lot more often this year. Uh, the Huskies have a, a really great history of producing top quality defensive tackles that um, are really impactful in college and then go on to have success in the NFL. And I think he's a guy that could be that type of a player for the Huskies, but now's the time to do it. And uh, I want to see Bob Gregory really force defenses to choose to, to, to throw the ball against our elite defensive backs in Trent McDuffie and, and Kyler Gordon. So that's, that's a guy that I really want to see and I hope to see uh, going into this season. Awesome. All right, here's our third question uh, for our, our dog and duck football preview. What is the best case or worst case scenario for each of our teams? Like if you were, if, if you were to say, okay, you know, if, if things break right, and we play up to our potential, what does that look like? And then what would be like, you know, the, the wheels falling off within reason for, yeah. for this Oregon uh, football team? I, I'd like to start with the worst case. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I want to finish on a good note with this question. So um, worst case scenario for Oregon kind of ties into what you were just saying about, yeah. about the Huskies defensive line, which is, as I look at the Oregon offense, I think they are loaded at the skill positions. I have no question that Oregon is going to have backs and receivers that are capable of, of making big plays. I think they're going to have a competent quarterback. Um, but my lingering question from, from last year, especially is um, their offensive line was not as overwhelming as you would like to see a Mario Cristobal offensive line. You know, that's something that he puts such an emphasis on. Obviously they lost Panay Sewell as an opt-out and, and that hurt them. But, um, and so I think they went into last season with the least experienced offensive line in the country and, and it, and it showed um, there were, there were games where they just struggled uh, to move the ball on the ground. They struggled in short yardage situations and, and it really came back to bite them in all of the games that they lost. And so if you're asking me kind of um, 
A worst case scenario for Oregon, I would say, I, I look at their three road games against teams that are in the preseason top 25, Ohio State, Washington, Utah. If their offensive line has not taken a step forward, if their offensive line is a mid-tier offensive line in the Pac-12, uh, which is what they were last year, uh, then I see that as, as a major red flag that would probably result in, in losses to all three of those teams and probably would get them into trouble with, with some of the other teams on their schedule. So if I, if I were doing a diagnosis at the end of the year, uh, that's the diagnosis that, that I, I would be most um, concerned about is, is to just say, man, uh, the offensive line just could not, could not dominate uh, things up front the way that, the way that we needed them to. That is, that is absolutely uh, my biggest red flag going into the season. And, and I think the recipe for, um, for, you know, kind of the, the wheels falling off. What, what would you say on, on the reverse side of that? What is the thing for the Huskies where you would say worst case scenario looks like, obviously excluding yeah. injuries, right? I mean, excluding some horrific set of injuries to key guys, but what, is, what is the, the worst case scenario for the Huskies? Yeah, I'll do, I'll do my worst case scenario and best case. And then I'll, I'll uh, toss it back to you to finish off with the ducks best case scenario, because Wonderful. I think, the reason why I say that, Mark, is I think that that the the best, the worst case, and the best case scenario for the dogs going into this season uh, could really be encapsulated by the 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 football game that they played last year against Utah. So if you remember, uh, you know they they got down twenty one to zero in the first half. Um, they were shooting themselves in the foot. Uh, you know. Dylan Morris threw a couple of picks. Uh, they could not stop uh, the quarterback from running on third down. And, and it just seemed like, uh, you know, we, we just, we would make two good plays and then we would give up a, a third down or a fourth down conversion on defense. And it was just infuriating. Uh, and I think that that's, that's kind of the fear for this season. If, if the Huskies have a fear, it's that we're going to see that same problem again on defense that um, we've got all this talent. We make good plays on first down, second down, or even third down. It's, it's fourth and one, and we just can't stop them. Uh, and then on offense, we have an offense that we're, uh, you know, insisting on running the ball into a stacked box, not opening up. Uh, the the offense early enough in the game to really build any momentum. I think that's the fear. And if that happens, um, you know, there's there's good reason to think that this could be a very disappointing eight and four type of season. Um, so that would be, I think, the 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 worst case scenario. You know, obviously, barring like catastrophic injuries or those kind of things. Um, but I think the best case scenario for this dogs team is the second half against that Utah team. They came out, they were disciplined, they moved the ball, they passed it, they ran. Uh, the, the defense was producing turnovers and they tightened up on third down. And, uh, you know, Dylan Morris in the clutch as a, a, you know, a young guy in only his third college football game was able to you know, 
bring the ball down the field and win that game when it mattered most. And I think that's, that's the hope is that, yeah, they're going to be some tight games and some tough games. And you want to know, like, like all Seahawks fans know that, Hey, if Russell Wilson's in this game, there's always a chance that we can win it. And I think as Husky fans, we want to build that kind of a confidence in Dylan Morris that, Hey, if we're down, uh, you know, a touchdown or two going into the fourth quarter, we can still win this game. And I don't know if we really ever had that with uh, Jacob Eason or with Jake Browning, even in spite of his, his, you know, prodigious, you know, 2016, there were a lot of cynics that just felt like, Oh, we're down, we're done. And uh, I think there's, there's a sense that Dylan Morris might be one of those guys that's got ice in his veins and performs when, uh, you know, it's most needed. So that's, I think, the, the best case scenario. Uh, you know, I think the Huskies could run the table. Now, that hasn't been done uh, in the Pac-12 in a long time, but I think an uh, uh, 11-1 season is within the grasp of this Husky team, and certainly a 10-2 and season feels like it, it very much could be a reality. 10-2, and winning the Pac-12 North, winning the Pac-12, I do think that is a best-case scenario for, for the dogs. Well, we'll we'll get to their uh, schedules, obviously, and and take a deeper look at that. I'm gonna hit. I'm actually gonna hit pause on this. We'll restart on that note here, Warren. Let me. Um, my. All right, Mark. So give me give lay it on me. Don't hold anything back. What is the best case scenario for this Oregon Ducks team in 2021? Well, so if I'm if I'm looking for kind of an indicator, I'm I'm looking to. Uh, turnover margin last year in the ducks four wins they were uh even in turnover margin they didn't have they didn't actually have an advantage in those four wins they just played straight up and uh and happened to win those four games in their three losses they were minus nine in turnover margin which is actually really hard to do for like a a talented football team to go minus nine in turnovers over three games and there's actually a stat out there called turnover luck, which kind of points out that wild swings like that in turnovers can actually be quantified more to just kind of getting some bad breaks, especially when you're losing fumbles at that rate, it's more kind of, you're not getting the bounces. And, um, and so this is a season where if, if in some of Oregon's bigger games, if they win the turnover battle decisively, and I'm not saying they have to be plus nine on the season, uh, but if but if they have a season where they decisively win the turnover margin, especially in their in their bigger games, uh, then that really could could be the difference um, in this season. Because if you look at them last year, they went four and three, uh, excluding the bowl game where the wheels just came off in the second half. Uh, you know, they lost a game to Cal where they fumbled the ball away on their final drive, driving for a potential go ahead score. They lost a game to Oregon State when Oregon State had a, you know, a quarterback sneak in the final like two minutes uh, at the goal line to win that game. And so those are those are two games where you throw a couple turnovers in there to just kind of dramatically swing things. And we're talking about Oregon as like a team that entered their bowl game six and zero and probably ranked in the top 10 
and there wouldn't be this kind of conversation about oh not being a you know valid representative of the Pac-12 and all that which is totally justified given the way the season played out and the fact that they did lose those games uh but I I just think uh if if Oregon decisively wins the turnover margin for the year if we're looking at this if we're checking in on this team in December and they're plus seven, plus eight on the turnover margin, just because of the talent level that they've got across the board at these other positions, then I think we are talking about a team that is competing for a playoff spot. You know, I think we're talking about a team that is is probably, uh, you know, trying to clinch a spot in the Pac-12 title game, is is lurking in, in the top 10 of the rankings somewhere. Um, you know, if they break even, uh, which is what they did in their wins last year, I still think they can be a pretty good team, but they might be more of like a nine and three, 10 and two variety. I, I think to, uh, to have a really special season, they've really got need things to go their way uh, in turnover margin. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I mean, you mentioned the college football playoffs and, you know, obviously that would be the best case scenario for the dogs as well. Um, it definitely feels like the odds are stacked against the Pac-12 in that regard. And I think you're right uh, for either one of our teams to to make it to the the Pac- to the, the college football playoffs. I think they're going to have to go either 12 and 0 or 11 and 1, um, you know, which for Oregon, as we'll talk about a little bit, the schedule that would probably mean either beating Ohio State and only having one loss in the Pac-12 or losing to Ohio State and then running the gauntlet of the Pac-12. So it, it does, I mean, certainly is it possible? Yes, but um, you know, I, I think realistically for both of our teams, um, you know, finishing 10 and two, winning the Pac-12, and you know going and winning a, a you know you know a, what is it new year's six bowl that that may be a little bit more of a realistic best case scenario but certainly uh, you know if if we if either one of our teams could go 11 and 1 or 12 and 0 they deserve to be in that uh, you know cfp conversation this year one uh, Mark, one quick correct correction that I wanted to make about something I said uh, in my best case, worst case, and that was that um, actually Dylan Morris threw three first half interceptions against Utah, two that were really legitimate mistakes. The third was kind of a end of the half bomb that got intercepted um, and really didn't have any real uh, impact on the game. But to your point, Mark, um, at the end of the game, the turnover margin still fell in the Huskies' favor. They uh, they had the three interceptions in the first half, but in total, the Huskies had two interceptions and two fumble recoveries on defense, and that really was the difference in that game that allowed them to to get back into a position to win. So, you're absolutely right. You know, Pete Carroll preaches it. Um, and every good coach talks about it. The turnover margin is really the most important statistic in football. All right, so we're going to move on and we're going to talk about um, uh, our team schedule. So we talked about best case, worst case. Um, Now let's do a quick walkthrough, and we'll, we'll really have to make this quick, Mark, but a quick walkthrough of each team's schedule, yeah. and then as we as we you know give our predictions for each game 
then we'll see where that ends up in terms of the final record prediction uh, for the regular season. We'll we'll leave out the bowl game uh, for right now and uh, and just talk about between now and the end of the Pac-12 season. So, Mark, why don't we go ahead and we'll start with with your Ducks and uh, walk us through the season and and uh, where you see those W's and where those potential L's might be, be coming at you. Well, so they, they start off the season at home this Saturday, 11 a.m. Uh, against Fresno State. Uh, I never take Fresno State likely. They do have a history of, of playing the Ducks uh, pretty tough. Uh, I think this year's Fresno State team, every indication is that they should be one of the best teams in the Mountain West. They won their opener against Connecticut 45 to nothing. So I'm not, I'm not taking them lightly in any sense. Um, but I think if you're penciling in wins and losses, I would, I would say the Ducks should be favored in that game. And similarly, they're, if they're, they're currently favored by 20 and a half points, which is a nervous line. That seems way too high to me for, uh, for a team that won their first game by 45 points. But, um, you know, we'll see. I mean, I mean, uh, UCLA beat uh, Hawaii by a comparable margin, and I think Hawaii, you know, Hawaii beat Fresno last year. So I think those teams are are generally kind of, you know, on the same tier. Um, so you know, we can talk more about season openers in a minute. But I think if if I'm if I'm just looking through the schedule, I'm saying I think Fresno should be penciled in as a win. I think on the road at number four Ohio State, you would you would default to penciling in. Ohio State with a loss. I'll be very curious. We'll talk a lot more about that game next week. I'll be very curious to see how the Ducks perform in that situation. Uh, the mighty Stony Brook is their, is their third game. And, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to be overconfident, but I, I, think, I think they'll have the second stringers in against Stony Brook pretty, pretty soon. Um, so that should be a win. Uh, Pac-12 schedule gets off to a nice start. They get Arizona at home at the end of September, I think everybody's figuring Arizona should be the worst team in the Pac-12 or one of the worst teams in the Pac-12. Uh, going on the road to the Arizona schools, I think for either of the Northwest schools is, is a tough task, but getting them at home, the Ducks, Ducks should be in good shape there. So I've got them three and one coming out of September. If I'm looking at, at the October slate at Stanford is usually a tough one, but I don't think we're looking at a vintage Stanford team this year. Uh, home against Cal again. I feel I feel good about the Ducks' chances winning games at home against kind of mid-tier conference teams. Especially uh, they lost to Cal last year. I think that'll be a bitter taste in their mouth. The game that now has me a little bit nervous is at UCLA, October twenty-third. I think uh, we're, we're going to know a lot more about UCLA after they play LSU this weekend and how seriously to take them as a contender in the Pac-12 South. I personally think this could be a real breakthrough year for Chip Kelly and the Bruins. Um, they were super close in every single game that they played last year. And, and sometimes you just have that, that breakthrough season playing at the Rose bowl is a weird thing because it's, it's not a full stadium. It's not an aggressive crowd. Like you kind of can get lulled into sleep there if you're an opposing team. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to say the ducks pull that one out but it's, I'm flagging that as, as a nervous game. Um, Colorado at home, I feel really good about. Uh, so I've got them, that would be seven and one coming into the Washington game. And I think, um, I think it could be six and two, like I said, 
but I think it's gonna it should be six and two, seven and one, somewhere in that ballpark coming into that that road test to Washington. And if you look at kind of that last four, it kind of breaks down as Washington on the road, Cougars at home, Utah on the road, Beavers at home. I think you would have to probably favor Oregon to take the two home games against the Cougs and the Beavs. Uh, but but they will pro- they will have trouble, I think, taking both of those road games against Washington and Utah, who you know traditionally are the two best defensive teams in the Pac-12. Yeah. Both have a really good home field atmosphere. Uh, it would it it would just be a really really tall task, I think, for um, the Ducks to come out of that stretch grabbing both of them. So I would hope that that means beating Washington and losing to Utah. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> But I think uh, either way you slice it, I think a 10 and two season seems like um, seems like a, a, a good approximation of, of where this team could finish. Nine and three wouldn't shock me and I don't think would be ultra disappointing if, if there was a loss say at UCLA in there or if, if, if they lost to both Washington and Utah on the road, that would obviously be a bummer, but I don't think it would be a... Um, you know, a terrible season. I think to lose any of their home games this year would be a real disappointment because that slate of Fresno, Arizona, Cal, Colorado, Washington State, Oregon State, that should be um, wins in each of those games for the Ducks at home. So I've, I've got them looking at about 10 and two. What, what do you think of that prognosis? Yeah, I think that that's a, that's a pretty fair, you know, read from an optimistic standpoint. Um, you know, and I mean, we'll, we'll both get into this, I'm sure uh, throughout the season, but yeah, there's a, there's a strong likelihood because these are 18 to 22 year olds that there's going to be a game or two this year that you just go, what happened? Like, right. What, you know, what were the, I mean, obviously last year with the ducks, it was, they lose, they lose to Oregon state. They lose to Cal. Uh, you know, you can't really, I mean, we we like to give you a hard time, but we can't really blame them for losing to Iowa State. Yeah. Uh, but but certainly no excuse for losing to a winless Cal or, you know, uh, an outmatched Oregon State. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so you, you have to think that uh, best case scenario, 10 and two feels pretty good, but where does that, dealing with 18 to 22 year olds, uh, you know, factor in, in a game and can they overcome it? And that's, that's the question is, and, and I think we both are going to face that as like, which game are we going to find ourselves down a couple touchdowns at halftime to a team that we should be beating? And can we come back and beat that team? You know, and maybe that's, Maybe that's California again. Maybe that's, you know, Oregon State. Maybe that's UCLA, um, Stanford. You know, just a, a Stanford yeah. is one of those teams. That, and when I get into our my review, our season, you know, uh, breakdown, that's a team that just for whatever reason, we come in thinking, oh, we should beat these guys. And then they always seem to sneak up on us. Yeah, Stanford has spoiled a lot of Oregon season. So having having Stanford, UCLA, Washington, and Utah on the road is not a great slate in the Pac-12 because I think those are all losable. Like none of those feel um, like a 
put the win in the books type of, you know, um, I, I do think that the home field advantage of Otson, especially after last year, uh, the pandemic year, I think the Ducks should respond to that and, and take care of business at home against this particular home slate. I, I feel pretty good about, about that. I feel like where, where, the, um, where the Ducks typically struggle, where they drop the game that they shouldn't drop is it's the road trip to Arizona State. It's the road trip to Pullman. You know, it's kind of these places yeah. that are that that just kind of have a habit of even if the team is is not very good, you find yourself you know trailing in the fourth quarter and kind of having to figure it out. So um, I think you're right that that loss is probably lurking in there somewhere, and so maybe it is UCLA, maybe it is Stanford um, to get them at nine and three, which I think is about where like Vegas has their over under. Uh, so. Yeah, I think I think it's it's going to be those four road games in the Pac-12 that are going to really determine the thing. Yeah, and I think you know they they could easily go nine and three, um, win the win the Pac-12 you know championship, so end up ten and three, and then who knows what happens in the bowl? Maybe they finish ten and four, or you know eleven and three. Uh, both of those seem like reasonable outcomes. Uh, so a nine and three conference or a nine and three regular season, yeah. uh, if it can, if it can still result in a Pac-12 championship game, um, still feels like it's, you know, not a, not a failure. Real, it's, that seems realistic. So to talk about whether it is realistic to win the division at nine and three, I think that takes us to your, your right. schedule here, Warren, yeah. if you break down. So let, let let me talk about that for just a minute because um, I think one of the reasons there's a number of reasons why I'm very optimistic about this team and this year, but part of the optimism is built on the schedule that we've been given this year. So if you look at it, we're not playing Utah, we're not playing USC, we've got um, California, which has given us trouble at home. We've got UCLA, which you mentioned is on the upswing, it seems, at home. We've got Oregon um, at home, Arizona State, which is very talented at home. And of course, the Apple Cup, Washington State back at home as well. So it feels like if there was a, a, a year from a schedule perspective that we could be set up to go for a run, then this could be could be that year. Now, uh, so I'll, I'll just kind of walk through that opening game uh, this weekend is against Montana. There's no doubt about it. That should easily be a win. Uh, that's a gimme for this Washington team. And then we go on the road to Ann Arbor to play against John Harbaugh and the Michigan Wolverines. And I think what makes this game interesting is the fact that it is happening the same weekend as um, Oregon going to Ohio State. You know, so you've got these these two well-known teams in Michigan and Ohio State. But let's make no mistake about it. Uh, Ohio State is a different breed of team than the University of Michigan. So even though both have a lot of name, you know, household name recognition, um, the Huskies' chances of beating Michigan are far greater than Oregon's chances of beating Ohio State on the road. So for that, I'm going to give this a W for this 
this Husky team. I think they're going to go on the road. Um, they've got, uh, I think they've got more confidence in their quarterback than Michigan does right now in their quarterback room. Yes, Michigan does have talented guys all over the field. And if for any reason the Huskies sleep on this Wolverine team, they will pay for it. But, you know, going into, uh, going into a hundred thousand stadium and feeling that crowd, if you, if you're not amped for that game, then yeah. you just, I mean, you got to get off the bus and go home. So I think they're going to win that game on the road. That's going to propel them, uh, you know, as they just shred Arkansas state, a team that's got some good offensive players, but is nowhere near matched with this Husky team on defense. So that starts them off at three and O and then we run into our, you know, our new rival, the Justin Wilcox, California bears. And uh, they have given us a world of trouble over the last few years. Uh, they're, they're a great defensive team. They run the ball. They've got a seasoned quarterback in chase Garbers. Um, and this is a team that can give us legitimate trouble. I, I would say that um, we, we've learned our lesson uh, from the lightning game and from the, the game at Cal the year before that, that they're not going to um, take the foot off the gas against this team. Uh, I think that they're clearly more talented. And I think that the big difference maker for this year's team in a, in, uh, as compared to previous year's teams is this offensive line for the Huskies. I think that they're gonna protect um, Morris and give him enough time to, to make the throws that he needs to th make against that talented secondary that they have year in, year out. Um, unfortunately for Cal, one of their uh, best defensive linemen uh, is out for the season. So that should uh, bode well for the Huskies against Cal. So I'm going to give them that win. And then we run into that pesky Beaver team, Oregon State. Um, Jonathan Smith, of course, was the former offensive coordinator. I got to believe that he's always got this game circled on his calendar. He wants to beat his former team, not because he has the animosity towards it, but, you know, he knows this team and he knows the roster and he, and I think he always has some special uh, plays dialed up to, uh, to, to try to take advantage of this Husky team. And this is a dangerous one because, um, you know, we go into that game uh, four and O on the road to Oregon state. Uh, that could be one of those games where we find ourselves down a couple touchdowns at halftime. And we're wondering what on earth is going on. And we're, you know, all watching it on our TVs, pulling our hair out. Um, I do think that um, in the, the fourth quarter, that the, the Huskies depth and talent and size will begin to wear down, especially that uh, much smaller uh, Oregon State defensive line. Um, yeah, I'm not really scared about their transfer quarterback, Sam Neuer, uh, doing a lot of damage. And now that Jamar Jefferson is uh, a backup running back for the Detroit Lions, um, I think that they're going to continue to run the ball well because of Jonathan Smith 
but I don't think they've got that workforce back like they did the last couple of years with Jamar. So I'm going to give that a W uh, for, um, for Washington. And then that brings us up again to, to UCLA. And I think you're absolutely right, right, Mark. I don't know if LSU is going to be the team that tells the tale about this UCLA team. Um, they LSU might just have too much talent, uh, especially on the defensive line, to uh, really be able to tell what this uh, UCLA team is going to be like. But we saw against Hawaii, uh, they've got two very dynamic running backs in Zach Charbonnet and Britton Brown. And, uh, you know, DTR really wasn't even needed uh, in, in that game. He was 10 for 20 for like 130 yards, but he didn't look very accurate. Um, he certainly didn't, you know, give the, the, the Bruin faithful a lot to get excited about, but you got to think that um, over the next couple of weeks, he'll start to, to break in. So I would say that is a, a game that, that uh, could be a potential L, but because it's at home, I'm giving the dogs a W. So, so we're moving on. Uh, we're now at six and zero mid October. Uh, we're flying high. We go to the desert to to play this Arizona Wildcats team. I think this is another team that again um, we're gonna take we're gonna take them for granted. It's a real trap game, but I do think in the end we're gonna have more talent and we will win that game. It's gonna put us at seven and zero, and here we are coming up against this Stanford team that has seemed to have had our number on the road at the farm. Uh, the place is dead. And, uh, you know, if, if, if we're going to take an L against a team that um, doesn't really deserve to beat us, it's going to be Stanford. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to say that I think that may be the, the, the loss that comes that nobody wants or expects. Um, so, so let's, let's give that to Stanford, uh, painfully, regretfully, uh, I'm, I'm going to give that to Stanford. Um, and then we've got that big November. Can I, can I stop you right here? Cause, yeah. cause we're getting into the critical part of the schedule, but you've got eight games. Like none of these teams are currently ranked in the top 25. Right. We would say, um, what maybe maybe Michigan or UCLA could end up in the top 25 but it but it looks like not even you know um those other teams really are even going to threaten that so like this is a very manageable eight game stretch as you've laid out but several games on the road and I think when you when you give them a loss against Stanford it seems like what you're really saying is that this team probably isn't going to go eight no to start the season but they should be favored in all eight of those games, right? I mean, and so whether it's coming in Corvallis or whether it's even coming in, in Tucson or whether it's coming at home against UCLA, that one of those teams will probably get them at some point just because to go 8-0 is unlikely. Right. But that, man, does this schedule set up for you? Like these are eight winnable games to start yeah. the season. Absolutely. And um there's no doubt that every game we will believe that we should win. Yeah. Going, th going through these first eight games. And then of course we've got the, the, the big game between the dogs and the ducks and um, you know, with it being at home, 
with both teams probably coming into that game believing that the the Pac-12 North is on the line uh, for that game, uh, I'm going to give it to the Ducks, and uh, I think that's going to be that's going to be the the highlight. You know, that's going to be the the linchpin game of the season for this team, and uh, I think the, the they're going to have uh, they're going to have their their best game plan their best effort ready to go the the stadium is going to be absolutely rocking and um, again barring any major injuries they're they're going to be uh really clicking on all cylinders by the time that game comes around it seems very likely at this point that ztf will be back by that game and, um, you know, if he plays anything like he did last season, he is uh, basically uh, the, the equal to Kayvon Thibodeau in terms of his uh, defensive impact on the game. So I think there's, there's a lot of reason to think that we could, we could, you know, win that game with that home field advantage against Oregon. And, uh, and then the next game is Arizona State. And I know a lot of people have been very high on this Arizona State team. Uh, but I think that there's a good chance that by this point in the season, that team is going to be uh, falling uh, falling apart. I, I don't think that they have the depth that they need to to really sustain um, a full season. And, um, you know, I think when you look at the numbers from 2020, I did some research on this team but when you look at the numbers from 2020, they, they ended up the season with the number one um, offense and the number one defense in the Pac-12. And I think that's the reason why a lot of prognosticators have, have put so much emphasis on trying to, to prop up uh, Arizona State as a real threat for the season. But um, if you take out their 70 to seven game against Arizona, and look at the rest of their games, uh, because let's face it, by the time they faced Arizona, that Arizona team was done. I mean, they were, yeah. they were worthless yeah. by the end of the season. So you take out that 70 to seven, and you've got, I think, a good team, but certainly not a team that is as to be feared as that they're being made out to be right now uh, by a lot of you know, people that don't really do the research. So I think we're going to win that Arizona State game at home um, fairly easily, maybe by 10 points or more. Um, Can I offer something here, Warren? Yeah. Here, I'm, I'm looking at this, and I understand your logic thus far in, in everything, even you're saying you expect them to beat the Ducks. As I'm looking at the schedule right now, you know, Oregon has a ranking next to their name. Arizona State is ranked 25th, so they've got a ranking next to their name. So as you look at the Husky schedule – they play two ranked teams back to back in early November. It's the first two times they have them all season. If the Sun Devils are as good as people are expecting them to be, and they're in, say, the top 25, uh, I think that will help the Huskies in maintaining the focus. If, if, if they get a big win over Oregon, and Oregon's really good and they beat them, and they kind of have the Pac 12 North in their hands, and they know the very next week, they're hosting a really good Arizona State team. I think that can actually help them. I've seen teams 
in those situations before where they've kind of got the back-to-back home games against good teams and they just kind of carry that momentum through. Where I think things could actually catch the Huskies off guard is if this is a team that is like five and four, that has had a couple of puzzling losses, mm. that kind of looks like they're dysfunctional because they still have talent. They still have talent. They still have a quarterback that is the type of player who's capable of just yeah. kind of dominating the game and having and having kind of one of those games where you go, oh, well, Jaden Daniels, you know, did yeah. this and this, and he was the difference. And so I'm I'm going to be very intrigued, you know, to kind of see. I mean, it all all depends on kind of how you get there. But if the Huskies arrive at that game in as good a shape as you're suggesting they could be in. I I almost think it's to their benefit if the Sun Devils are 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 a good opponent because I do think if if the wheels have come off a little bit it's easy like you said for these 18 to 22 year olds to kind of look at the rest of the season and go hey we've got three winnable games like yeah you know the Pac-12 is going to be ours like write us into the Pac-12 title game and and I think if I'm looking at those last three games that would be the one that would that would make me the most nervous. Yeah, I mean that's fair. I, uh, you know, I I will actually be very surprised if that Arizona State team is like reasonably healthy by the time they they play Washington. That late into, I would be more scared about Arizona State earlier in the season. But um, you know, I even heard Herm Edwards talk about in an interview a, a while back that even he admits. His offensive line and defensive line, they're just they're just not there yet, and they don't have the depth on the offensive line, the defensive line, the way that Jaden uh, Dan, you know Daniels plays. I just I I can envision him getting just Tyler Huntley throughout the season, and uh, by the end of the season, he's just not the mobile playmaker. You know, it's one thing to do it in a six game season like last year, but uh, you know, by game eight or nine, I think there's a good chance that that he's not going to be, you know, playing with the same kind of pizzazz that maybe he will in the first three or four games this season. And then that the next game is at Colorado. And I think that's another one of those potential trap games where you, you could say, hey, this team is, on paper is a dog. We need to just tear these guys apart. Um but of course, they do have, uh, you know, probably the best pure running back in uh, the Pac-12 this year, and Jarek Broussard. Um, but you know, looking at Colorado's schedule before they play Washington, they've got at California, at Oregon, Oregon State, at UCLA. Um, so there's there's a lot of reason to think that that Colorado team is going to be, you know, pretty defeated by the time the the Huskies roll into town. So I'm going to give the Huskies another W for that. And then that leads us to the Apple Cup. And, uh, you know, history tells us that um, it it has been within the power of the the Cougars to completely uh, dash the hopes of uh, Husky fans that look beyond the Cougars in hopes of a Rose Bowl or a Pac-12 championship. Uh, and that could certainly happen this year. 
I think this Nick Rolovich team is going to be one of those teams like uh, Washington State teams in the past where uh, they they just rise up and bite some team when they least expect it. And, um, and, and you know, they defeat, they defeat an Oregon, they defeat a USC, they defeat a, a Washington when they really shouldn't do that. Um, but again, I think uh, at the end of the day, uh, the, the Apple Cup trophy has been in the possession of this Husky football team since 2013. And I don't think it's going back to uh, Pullman this, uh, this fall. So I'm going to finish this off with the Huskies finishing this regular season 11-1. and I know it's a bold prediction, but that's uh, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. And again, barring any catastrophic injuries, uh, I think it's well within the, the, the realm of, of you know, reasonable belief to think that they could they could win 11 of 12 games going in and playing against a USC or a Utah and uh, and 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 battling it out for that that Pac-12 championship. So I understand your logic in the sense that I mean I think we both essentially said uh, I mean Washington should be favored in every game on paper maybe except for the Oregon game, which is, which they're at home. So maybe it's, maybe it's more of a toss up. Um, the ducks should be favored in every game except the Ohio state game, but maybe, but, but they've got two road games against really good teams in Washington and Utah. So, I mean, I, I, I think we're both kind of basically kind of giving a, Hey, I think they should win the games they're supposed to win and they'll probably lose one you know, along the way that, that, um, that maybe they, they should have won. Uh, I guess I just look at this schedule and I think, um, the way the PAC 12 played out last year, I think I counted it up. There were 31 conference games and 18 of them were decided by seven points or less. There was incredible parody across the board and every team had it, whether it was the Huskies or the ducks or USC or whoever it was, every game had three or four games that seemed to come down to a field goal. Uh, and so I just, can I, I say something about that real quick? Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I do agree. Like, yeah, the PAC 12 is known for its parody and we'll talk about that maybe a little bit in our next podcast about how, you know, we've got five teams in the top 25, but none in the top 10. So there's not that like elite team. And then, you know, the rest, there's a, there's a lot of parody, but I do think last year was very unique because of the impact that COVID had on, um, you know, the the spring season, the fall season, and then just the the players who were available to play, you know. And I mean, there, let's face it, there were a few games that Oregon won early in the season, where um, you know key players from Stanford and uh who was the other one uh early in the season that were ucla yeah. ucla stanford and ucla that were missing their starting quarterbacks um you know and and anything could happen this year but i i don't think that that's um the norm uh and i think that contributed to some of that parody last year where it was like anything could happen um you know i mean i even against the 
against Stanford, you, you had Stanford who was practicing in the Bellevue Square Park before the Huskies game. So they had no business winning that game. But then on the, the, the flip side of it, as it turned out later, uh, COVID was running rampant through the Huskies roster and a, a number of key players were unable to play against Stanford. So, you know, you almost have to kind of throw some of that out and just go, whatever, what, there's not a lot we can make out of some of the results from last year. I, I think that's, I think that's true. I guess I'm just looking at this schedule and I'm thinking, are the Huskies going to be blowing these teams out? Are these going to be close games in the fourth quarter? Uh, because I'm, I'm not sure. And this is probably where we disagree about the optimism of the Husky fans is I think, um, to me, if a team goes 11 and one, a lot of those wins are pretty convincing. They're beating teams by 17 points. They're beating teams by 20 points. They're, you know, they're winning consistently Yeah. because it's a lot harder to string together an 11 and one season. If you've got three or four different wins by a field goal or, you know, or last second touchdown or something like that. When, when um, that's just harder to maintain that over the course of the season without losing more than one game. And so I think that will be the big question is um, like I said, I understand on paper how you come to the conclusion that you come to. And yet I'm looking at like just the road games, for instance, Oregon state, Arizona, Stanford, Colorado, they should win all four of those games. Um, but are we sure that uh, in the fourth quarter that there aren't a couple of those games that are kind of making you nervous a little bit, you know, um, or even the home games, Oregon, Arizona State, UCLA, Cal, those all seem like teams that, that, that could put up a fight that could, you know, kind of take things late into the game with, with the result still being a question mark like i i just i i guess i don't see a lot of of games where it's like i mean the game that i feel most confident in is the apple cup at home just because every year i root for the cougars to beat the huskies in the apple cup and i'm disappointed by it so i have no faith anymore in the cougars to win the apple cup but um yeah you know i i i don't know i i could be underestimating the huskies they they could roll up a few big wins early in the season and i i might be changing my tune come october but i just have a feeling that a lot of these games are going to be pretty evenly matched and and 11 and 1 is just it's really really hard to do that unless unless you're just kind of dominating teams well let me just you know, use 2019 as a, a point of comparison. So in 2019, we ended up losing the lightning game to Cal. Yeah. We, we lost, uh, we beat USC at home 28 14. Mm -hmm. And we lost, uh, you know, to, to a Stanford team that we shouldn't have lost to. Right. Um, we, we lost a narrow loss to, uh, to Oregon. Uh, also a narrow loss to Utah. And then, you know, we, we lost narrowly to uh, a Colorado team. And in all of those games, it felt like if our, you know, if our quarterback play had just been a little bit better, that we probably would have won at least three of those four games. But 
for whatever reason, with all of his prodigious, you know, tools, Jacob Eason just was not able to get it done. Um, and I think that's where, for me, it really comes down to what, you know, what do we have with Dylan Morris? And, yeah. you know, is he, you know, is he more like, uh, you know, a, a Jacob Eason or is he more like, you know, a Marcus Tuiasasopo that, you know, I mean, Tuiasasopo is one of the all-time greats, but, but he was a guy that just found a way to win. Yeah. And, uh, you, you know, we, we saw that even in the game that we lost against Stanford, we didn't lose because of Dylan Morris. You know, he put us in a position to win that game. Um, and so I think that's the real question. That's the, the secret sauce in whether or not this Husky team accomplishes its goals this year is that, you know, if Dylan Morris is the guy that can give you that extra little bit I think it goes from a four loss team to a one or two loss team. And, and it's not unreasonable because I think from top to bottom, our talent this year is superior to the talent that we had that year. Yeah. I think that year you, you, um, you had a tougher schedule too. I think, uh, you know, you were playing three. We did, but, we we should have never we should have never lost to Colorado or Stanford. So yeah. you you take those and, and Cal. We should have, I mean those three games we should have never lost to 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 those three teams, and uh, we did. And so then you go okay, yeah we beat USC that was a good win. Um, it's understandable losing by four points to Oregon, but um, you know. And I thought that the the Oregon game was one of Herbert's best games of the year. He you know, made some key throws at the right moments. But um, yeah, I mean, I think I think there's that's the reason for the optimism is that if we can just get a little bit better, and that's partially due to the offensive line, and then partially due to maybe what we believe to be the the makeup of the personality of Dylan Morris. That's the, the real question. Okay, so my official prediction is a 10 and 2 season for Oregon. And okay. your official prediction is an 11 and 1. 11 1. 11 1. Now, I don't know if, you know, I, I feel pretty good if, if we were to end up playing USC in the Pac 12 championship. I think Jimmy Lake's got a pretty strong read on the air raid offense. And I think he'd have a good chance of shutting that down. If we were to play Utah yeah. in the Pac-12 championship on a neutral field, I don't know. You yeah. know, and that's, so, I, I mean, again, I, I do believe we've got the capacity to be an 11-1 team, but by no means do I, do I think that we're, uh, this force that's just going to just destroy every team in, in the Pac-12. And, you know, I, I think, I, I will say this, if we were to win the Pac-12 with a 12-1 and record and get into the college football playoffs, I think we would probably see a pretty similar result to what we had in 2016, where we would face a, a, an Alabama or an Ohio State and we would say, yeah, we're not there yet. 
you know, and that's that's my that's my optimistic slash realistic perspective on where the Huskies are at and where the Pac-12 is at. Well, uh, you're full of optimism about the season, Warren, and that is going to be either uh, infuriating to do this podcast with you because each win is just going to further that sense of optimism or I'll be in or, total dismay. Yeah, or there's going to be a rude awakening at some point when, right. when you're two and two with losses to Michigan and Cal and I'm kind of tra- talking you off the ledge a little bit. So it's, it's going to be a wild ride either way. I mean, this is, uh, there's no doubt about it. And, and, you know, I think this is a first for you, for you and for me to be hosting a podcast, uh, with our chief rival, um, as the co-host and, you know, if this season starts off and, uh, you know, Washington is two and two and Oregon is four and oh, and they've beaten Ohio state on the road. I mean, it's going to be a miserable season for me. And I would presume that probably the same thing goes for you. If, you know, if we'll, we'll kind of maybe wrap it up with our preview for this weekend, but if Fresno state were to pull an upset against Oregon and then they were to, you know, lose as maybe as expected against Ohio State and they start off 0 and 2. Um, I would think that it, that would be pretty miserable for you having to come back on the show and talk to me if, yeah. if the Huskies are 2 and 0. So, yeah. you know, I think I think if uh, if if Oregon this starts off 1 and 1, it's not going to damper your enthusiasm too much, but um, an 0 and 2 start would probably be pretty tough to swallow yeah yeah that would be um i I might not be able to do the podcast that next week yeah that would be (laughs) well you do have stony brook to look forward to so stony brook is the get right game yeah and you know i would assume that if oregon started off zero and two then optimism would probably be turning towards a new quarterback um you know the five-star Ty Thompson or something like that. And now's a chance to get him ready for the rest of the Pac-12 with Arizona and Stony Brook. Um, So, yeah, uh, you know, I think as far as the the games this weekend, there's really not a lot to say about this Washington versus Montana team or game. I'm I'm looking forward to going. I'm going to be there and uh, bringing my son and my mom to the game and uh, really looking forward to that. Uh, but I think the the real thing, the real, you know, emphasis of this weekend is just going to be to evaluate, see what, what does this team look like out on the field? Where do they need to shore up some issues? And hopefully it's a, an opportunity to see a lot of our second and third string guys come in in the third and fourth quarters and really um, put this team away. Uh, but Mark, I'm curious to to hear what your thoughts are about this uh, matchup against a Fresno State team that, uh, again, on paper, Oregon State should you know crush these guys. They're, they're 20 and a half point uh, favorites. But uh, is there any reason to see this as a potential uh, you know stumbling block? Yeah, I think I think Fresno's earned the benefit of the doubt at this point. I mean, they've been a pretty solid program for quite a while. And Oregon has had 
you know, a couple of games that I can think of uh, that have come down to the fourth quarter that, you know, were decided by seven points or something like that. Uh, so I, I don't, I don't look at it as a foregone conclusion that they're, um, you know, they're going to win or certainly that they're going to win by, by 20 points. I think a, a win, I would, I would take it. A win over Fresno would be a good win. Uh, I think, um, you know, obviously the big question that everybody's going to be interested in is how, how does Anthony Brown perform at, at quarterback? I think the one maybe fun storyline about this particular game with Fresno is, um, you know, Tim DeRuiter, Oregon's uh, defensive coordinator, was actually the head coach at Fresno State for uh, for five seasons, from 2012 to 2016. And, and he had a good run his first couple of years. He won nine games his first year. He won 11 games his second year. And then and then just kind of bottomed out and he was fired in the middle of his fifth season when they started one and seven. And so, you know, for a guy who has spent, um, you know, the better part of three decades coaching major college football, mostly as a defensive coordinator, that was the one shot he had at being a head coach of a program and he led them to some pretty good heights and then it, and then it did not end well. And so I think uh, it would be kind of satisfying, I would think, um, for him personally, if, if, even though I'm sure he wouldn't say it, if, uh, if the Ducks were able to get that win, kind of a redemption win for him. So uh, that, that's kind of an interesting storyline that has nothing to do with the players on the field. But uh, I, more than anything, Warren, I'm just excited to have it back. I'm excited to have, you know, a game to look forward to, a box score to look through, reports of the game afterwards to read through about the backup offensive linemen who performed well on this series or whatever like I'm, I'm just excited to have it all back and I know for both of us it's kind of looking ahead to week two where we have these road games against the big 10 powers but um, it's just super exciting to have uh, college football back and excited to kick it off this Saturday. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I am, I mean, I'm really actually very interested in this game against Fresno state for a couple of reasons. I mean, one, um, there are a couple of ex Washington Huskies on this team, uh, the quarterback, Jake Hayner, he That's was right. the, the young man who lost the quarterback battle with Jacob Eason transferred to Fresno state. And last year, was one of the leading passers in the nation in a limited role as the starting quarterback and uh, really continued on that, uh, you know, that trend in his first game against uh, an obviously outmatched UConn, but he really only played one half of, of football and put up over 300 yards and a few touchdowns. And then uh, wide receiver Ty Jones, who is a fifth year senior who was a multiple year starter for the Huskies as well at, as a six foot four wide receiver. And sure enough, uh, the first passing touchdown of the game was from ex Husky Jake Hayner to ex Husky Ty Jones. Uh, so you got to think those guys are, are really excited to play this game as a former, former Huskies as well. And I think it's going to be a real interesting uh, matchup to see what this Fresno State offense can do against those backup defensive backs of Oregon with the two starters out for this game. Uh, and then I think probably the, the real story will be um, the left tackle for Fresno State, 
Dante Bull against uh, all world, um, you know, uh, defensive, is he de defensive end, um, Kayvon Thibodeau, because uh, again, on paper, Thibodeau should be a monster, a wrecking crew. And if, if he can just destroy a uh, bull, then Hayner will be, you know, backpedaling and, and making, you know, crucial errors throughout the game. But if bull or whoever they put on Thibodeau can neutralize him, maybe keep him to a couple sacks and, you know, reduce the number of quarterback pressures that he's able to put on there. It could be a very interesting game. So I'm, I'm very excited to see how it goes. I, I do predict that Oregon will win by at least a couple touchdowns, but it will be interesting to see what kind uh, of an impact the loss of those two defensive backs and the potential of Thibodeau to wreck the game on the defense for, for, or for Fresno State, what that will look like in that game. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, like I said, you can't, you can't take them for granted. It's they're, they're too good of a program to do that. And it's, it's really, I think the ideal opener you want a team. I mean uh, we both have a, an FCS school on our, on our schedule. And I think you would agree with me that it's just, it's not the same level of excitement to see your team play Montana or Stony Brook. Uh, whereas when you're playing a team like Fresno, cause in the back of your mind, there is a sense of like, Oh, if this starts poorly, this is a team that could, that could beat us where you don't really have that concern in the back of your mind against Montana. No, I mean, Fresno state puts guys in the NFL. Yeah. yeah. You know, so that, I mean, there's good talent on that team. And like I said, they've got some dynamic playmakers. So there's, there's no reason why they, they. And they've already had a game. They've already been warmed up a little bit, which I think can only help them, you know, that they've already kind of worked out some of those kinks that, uh, that most of the country hasn't had a chance to do yet. Yeah. All right. Well, that wraps up our dog and duck football uh, preview special. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we're Mark, are we going to be able to stick around for another podcast? I think we'll be able to hit on a few topics. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So, so. so, so keep listening. We've got a, our uh, Mark and Warren's 2021 college football preview uh, coming up later this week. And I uh, hope you'll stick around for that. But this is what the Dog and Duck Show was created for, was yeah. to get into all that we talked about today. So I hope you enjoy it, and we'll see you next time. Go dogs And go Ducks. <laughs>